Last week, we launched a new series called I Believe, Authentic Christianity in a Secular Age, all based on the creed we just recited a few moments ago, the Apostles' Creed. Creeds have been used throughout church history to remind us that which is true and that which is false. In the first century, they needed creeds, they needed summaries of the Christian faith in the midst of Roman paganism and the Greco-Roman world, in the midst of the Gnostic heresies, they needed to be reminded that this is true, authentic Christianity. Well, 2,000 years later, we're reminded that there's nothing new under the sun. We're not dealing with Roman paganism or Gnosticism per se, but dealing with secularism and Marxism. And we need, to be, we need to know as believers, we need to know as the church of Jesus Christ, and we owe it to the world and to our children to say this is what we believe, this is authentic Christianity in a secular age. Last week we looked at the first tenet in the creed, that God is God the Father Almighty. This week we look at the truth claim that he is the maker of heaven and earth. To look at that and to study that together, we're going to look at Psalm 8, a Psalm of David, which has been called the Song of Creation. Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. This is the Word of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, the beast of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know where I came from. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. These are all statements and conclusions from 96% of the population of North America. Let me say it again. I don't know where I came from, I don't know who I am, and I don't know where I'm going. 96% of the North American population is not able with confidence to answer these questions. These questions we would call here at the church and at our school worldview questions, the foundational questions of life. And as I continue to study the biblical doctrine of creation, I am convinced that without the biblical doctrine of creation, you have no chance of answering the foundational questions of life. Where did I come from? Who am I? And where am I going? These questions are foundational to understanding the main questions of life. 
And they're foundational to understanding what we mean when we emphatically say on Sunday mornings that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. As we study Psalm 8 together briefly this morning, we'll study the doctrine of creation, and I want us to look at briefly the origin of the universe, secondly, the sacredness of humanity, and third, the purpose of life. As we discover together those foundational questions, where did I come from? Who am I? And where am I going? First, the origin of the universe. In verses one and three, we're introduced to not only the main character of the Bible, but the main character of heaven and earth. And it's not you, but it's God. It says in verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then in verse three, it explains what this sovereign creator, this majestic being did. In verse three, when we look at the work of your hands and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, verses one and three tell us that the sovereign one that we studied last week, God the Father Almighty, is also the one that put the moon and the stars and the earth in place, that he alone is the sovereign creator of all things. And it answers that foundational question, where did we come from? Where did this universe come from? Are we a cosmic accident? Are we a result of evolution? The doctrine of creation, particularly here in Psalm 8, remind us that we are a result of the sovereign work of God. We are his handiwork, that he is responsible for everything that we see, and it reminds us that he is the sovereign creator and we are not, that God is king and man is not king. We're reminded with the doctrine of creation that nothing caused God, but that God caused everything and that because of that, God is not dependent on anything or any person, but instead all of his creation, including you and me, are utterly dependent upon God alone to live and move and have our being. In verse one, we're told that his name is majestic And a name back then meant much more than a name means today. It means his reputation, that God's reputation and all of the earth is one of majesty, that he alone is crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. My question is, what are we doing to teach the next generation this foundational principle concerning creation that God alone is the creator and we are not? That God alone is God and we are not? We're raising a generation to believe it's all about themselves and their agenda and their glory, that they're the center of the universe. Just type in Google equity grading and you'll quickly learn that there are school districts all across North America that are no longer giving zeros to their students for failed assignments or missing assignments because they said it will do too much damage to their self-esteem. We are raising a generation, a next generation to believe that the whole universe revolves around them instead of teaching them 
that the whole universe revolves around the one whose name is majestic. We will be utterly lost in this world and there will be utter chaos with the next generation if we continue to teach them that this is all about them. No, instead we point them to the one that is responsible for all things, the sovereign creator whose name is majesty. And then from there, teaching the next generation that it's not about pursuing your glory, but it's about pursuing the glory of God alone. That is the ultimate goal and aim for life. Because the first foundational question, where did I come from? We can only point to the God who is majestic in all the earth. The origin of the universe is foundational to understanding the purpose of life. The second thing we need to understand when we proclaim that God is the maker of heaven and earth, the second thing Psalm 8 teaches us is the sacredness of all humanity and answers that question, who am I? Verse four says, what is man that you're mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him, you have made him, you've created him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The biblical doctrine of creation grounds our self-worth and our value as we talked about a couple Sundays ago in the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, that our worth and our value and our dignity is not defined by the world, it's not defined by what we do, but it's defined in the truth that we are all created in the image of God. Could you imagine getting this word in the Old Testament age? In the Old Testament age, the image of God, it was believed, was only imparted to the Pharaoh or to the emperor. Or imagine getting this in the Greco-Roman age in the first century where the image of God was only reserved for Caesar. And here the word of God is teaching us that no, the image of God is not only for the emperors and the kings, not only for the Caesars and the emperors, but for every single person without exception that you are conceived in the image of God. In the Greco-Roman world in the first century, abortion and infanticide were rampant. Widows and orphans were marginalized. What happened? Christianity happened. Christianity with its message that every single human being without exception is conceived in the image of God. It is the sacredness of humanity. That although God looks at creation and says it's good, he looks at human beings and he says you are very good that human beings are the crown jewel of all of creation this language of being crowned with glory and honor is reserved for royalty it's language reserved for the king and psalm 8 reminds us that we'll never understand who we are until we understand the biblical doctrine of creation that we are crowned with glory and honor as we are conceived in the image and likeness of Jesus, of God, and now conformed in the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And although we're not dealing with Roman paganism as they were 2,000 years ago, the spirit of this age is secular humanism and Marxism. And did you know that both Marx and Hitler received their scientific justification for what they did all from Darwin. 
Darwinian evolution was the scientific justification for what Karl Marx and Adolf Hitler did. And it led to the bloodiest generation and the bloodiest century in human history. But it makes sense. When you take God out of the equation and you say we are some result of some cosmic accident, it can lead us to do all kinds of destructive things. Evolution and the rejection of God as the creator of all things has led us into the bloodiest century in human history and this bloodshed and chaos continues to this day. This is the reason why when the public school system was founded in North America, that creation was mandatory to be taught to every single child because they understood that it's the biblical doctrine of creation that leads to a flourishing society. And I wanna ask you the question, whether it was the Scopes trial in 1925 or the Epperson case in 1968 that made evolution alone the theory that would be taught to the next generation, are we any better off as a society? No thinking person and no honest person could ever admit that we are better off as a nation and better off as a society because of the loss of creation in our school system. When evolution is the thought and the theory of the day, it leads to all kinds of chaos, all kinds of bloodshed, and all kinds of darkness because it robs humanity of the beauty of the sacredness of being conceived and created in the image of God. It is only the biblical doctrine of creation that allows us to understand who we truly are, conceived in his image and in his likeness. Third and lastly, the biblical doctrine of creation not only reminds us of the origin of the universe, not only reminds us of the sacredness of all humanity, but third, it reminds us of the purpose of life. It answers the question, where are we going? Do I have purpose in this life? In verse six, seven, and eight, we read that humanity, crowned with glory and honor, have been given dominion, that all the things that God has created have been put under our feet, all sheep and oxen, all beasts of the fields, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea. What does this language remind us of? It should remind us of Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, what we call the cultural mandate, that humanity created in the image of God was given an assignment, was given a calling to have dominion over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, and to bring the earth under the submission for the glory of God. This is our calling. This is our sacred assignment. And what God does for us is phenomenal. That he doesn't just create us and leave us in this world wandering aimlessly through life, wondering what we're supposed to do. But he calls his, he calls his people to go out and advance the glory of God into every sphere, to bring his image to bear into our homes and into our communities, into our workplaces on Monday morning, into the voting polls and voting booths into our communities and into our neighborhoods and into our schools and every square inch of this world is to be filled with the glory of God as it's carried out by the people of God, to bring the whole world under his dominion, the whole world under submission 
so that the world might flourish, to represent the sovereign God into the far corners of this world. This is why you're here. This is the purpose of life. And this answers the question, where are we going to spread the glory of God and to advance his kingdom to the far corners of the world? This is what it means to be fully human. This is what it means to be fully alive. But the problem is many of us, if we're honest, we sit here and we say, pastor, this sounds amazing that God is the sovereign creator of the universe, that my sacredness is found in the reality that I've been created in his image and he has given me this sacred calling in life, but I've gotta be honest, I could barely just get to church this morning. Why don't I feel fully alive? The problem comes in Genesis chapter three, that after Genesis chapter one and two and the story of creation and everything looks wonderful, in Genesis chapter three, we decide that we wanna be sovereign. We decide that we wanna be in charge. We decide to openly rebel against the God of the universe and instead of seeking his glory, we decide in Genesis chapter three that we wanna seek our own glory and all hell breaks loose. And the reason we don't feel fully alive is because we feel the effects every single day of the fallenness of man and the brokenness of this world. And the only question is, how in the world would we ever find a solution and find hope in the midst of the brokenness of this dark and weary world? Well, the answer is found in verse four. It says, what is man that you're mindful of him the son of man that you care for him. And you might hear that verse and say, that doesn't give me much hope. That doesn't give me much to work with. Well, the question is, how is God mindful of man? How has God cared for man? Well, God has cared for man and he's been mindful of man through sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And what Jesus Christ did is he reminds us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection that in your brokenness and in your despair, in your confusion in this life, as you're trying to answer the foundational questions of life, right in the midst of human history stands the man Jesus Christ, who on the cross took your sin, on the cross took your shame, on the cross took the burdens of this world, and by faith alone in him, offers salvation for whoever believes. In the story of creation in Genesis chapter one, we are told that darkness and chaos covered the earth. But then God spoke and there was life. What happened on the cross of Jesus Christ? It says that the sixth hour, darkness and chaos fell over the land. And not only did darkness and chaos fall over the land, darkness and chaos, your darkness and chaos, fell on Jesus Christ so that by faith alone in him, he would forever be mindful of us and forever care for us. If you're here this morning and you're skeptical of the truth claims of Christianity, Maybe you're skeptical of this whole idea of a God creating the heavens and the earth. Listen to me carefully. Deep down inside, you long for this to be true. Because there is nothing in this world and there is nothing in this life that would ever be able to answer the foundational questions of life 
with the clarity and the confidence of what Jesus Christ offers us. In Jesus Christ alone, we have hope. In Jesus Christ alone, our lives only then begin to make sense. That in Jesus Christ alone, he offers you something that nothing in this world will ever be able to offer. And so I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, would you run to him? I plead with you to surrender your life to him and be saved, to be set free. Verse four might be one of the most relevant questions you will ever ask, who in the world would be mindful of me? And in the gospel it declares, Jesus Christ forever and ever. This past weekend I had the privilege of attending the funeral of Leslie Saladay, the teacher in the community, a pillar in this community, and one of the most remarkable things happened at her funeral. I looked around the room and almost every lady in attendance was wearing bright colors. And you might say, bright colors to a funeral? But as you sat there and you listened to the testimonies and you listened to the message of the pastor, you were reminded why. Because her faith and her hope were not in herself, but it was in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's because of Jesus Christ alone that even in the midst of death, we can see the bright colors of hope that Jesus Christ offers. That even in the darkness of death, we can have the light of the gospel shining in. Let me tell you something. If this is all a cosmic accident, if there is no God and there is no hope for the future, I don't know how any of us could ever survive. That is an impossible existence. But because of the truth of God's word, because of the hope of the gospel, we can stand every single Sunday proclaiming that we believe that yes, he is maker of heaven and earth and it makes all the difference in the world. Life will never make sense with you at the center. Life will only make sense when we say with the psalmist, with confidence and humility, that the Lord alone, our Lord, is majestic and his name is famous and renowned to the far corners of this earth. He is the maker of all things, responsible for my origin, the one who gives me sacredness, worth, and value, and has given me a purpose and a destiny that goes on forever and ever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, you are the one that is responsible for our moving and our being, our sus being sustained in this world. And so you alone get all the glory and the honor. Lord, it is not good news for us to be at the center of our lives, but it is only good and only hopeful for you to be at the center. And at the center, 
we are told that not only you created the heavens and the earth, but because of Jesus Christ, you're making all things new. The good news this morning is not only are you the creator of all things, but because of Jesus Christ, you're recreating those that place their faith and trust in your son that you sent. Lord, I thank you that you have not left us walking aimlessly through life, trying to discover and learn and answer the big questions of life with no hope and with no confidence, but you have given us the answer in your word, which is true, so that we know where we came from and we know who we are and we know where we're going. Not on the basis of our confidence, but on the basis of the confidence of truth as it's found in God's word. But Heavenly Father, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know this truth, and they understand that truth is not mere words, but the word became flesh, the truth is a person, the word made flesh, that Christianity has Jesus at its center, who offers all those who believe life and life to the full. So if you're here this morning or listening at home, would you come to Jesus? Would you confess your need for him? Would you ask him for forgiveness of sins and the assurance, Lord, that they would live in eternity with you forever and experience life to the full both now and forevermore? Would you come to Jesus and confess him as Lord and confess him as Savior? Be born again. Be saved today. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.